I'm so glad that we get to celebrate a second week of our 90th anniversary, and we're busy with this series called Heart for the House. Now, a couple of years ago, um, we made a friend, Eddie. He was actually ex-boyfriend of my brother's wife. <laughs> so, but Eddie was an interesting guy. He was, he, was a, he was a typical computer nerd, right? But he had a hobby called Airsoft. Who's ever heard of Airsoft? I don't even know if that's still a thing. Like, I don't know. But it's basically like paintball. But do you have BB guns here? Do you call that BB guns? Or those little plastic bullets? So it's like BB guns, but they, have more, they pack more of a punch. And all of the rifles look exactly like real rifles, okay? But Eddie was so passionate about airsoft. Like, he had numerous guns. He had hand grenades, like airsoft hand grenades, and like camo and everything. And every time we would get together, he would talk about this game that they would play, like somewhere in the woods and stuff, and they would be like all war zone with their airsoft rifles. And it was so intriguing to me that I was like, I'm going to buy an airsoft kit. Like, I need to go play airsoft. Like, I have no idea when I would do that, or, but I wanted to go play airsoft. Now, I don't think when I share this story that I am the only one who's ever fallen for someone's passion, right? And then you buy something that you really don't need, timeshare. You know, some of you are guilty of that. Like, I love to go to those meetings just to say no after two hours, right? And then they're like, 30% off, still no. 50%, still no. It's incredible how they do that. We've all bought, some of us have bought really expensive vacuum cleaners that we don't need because the sales guy was so good. Like, we all fall for that, right? When someone is so passionate about something that they sell it to us in such an incredible way that we just have to get the thing as well. Some of you have old classic cars stashed in your garage that was supposed to be a summer project, and it's still there 15 years later. Your wife hates the car, right? It's already rusted through, but it's still there because one day it's going to be fixed. And it all started with you going to a motor show and someone told you about this old car that he loves. Why does that happen? Because passion is contagious. Passion is contagious. And we are busy with this 90th anniversary series in which we are talking about having a heart for the house. It comes from David that said, I had a heart to build a house for God. And he was talking about the temple that the ark of God would be put in. And the ark of God was the place where God chose to be present at. Today, God isn't present at an ark. The Bible says that if we are believers, we have His Holy Spirit. That means God is present in your life. So when we are talking about a heart for the house, we're talking about the church and not this building. We're talking about us because where we gather, that is the church. And we started this series to say, how can we have a heart for the house? For 90 years, people had a heart for building God's kingdom, for building this church. And how are we going into the next 90 years? And last week we said, it starts with legacy. It starts with realizing that my life is not just about what I'm doing here, but that my life will leave an impact, good or bad, on the generations to come. And therefore, I have to make a decision of what kind of a legacy I want to leave for the generations that would come after me. And if you listened to that last week, some people came to me and they're like, man, this message moved me. Like, I really started thinking about it. What's the next steps? The first step is just hearing last week's message and realizing, having awareness that your life is not just about the here and now. And if you're a parent, like, that is a reality that hits you like when that baby's born, like, solid between the eyes, right? 
But still, it sometimes escapes us as life gets busy. So the first thing is be aware that we are not just placed on this earth for our life, but that God has a purpose with you and with me for something more than just this life. But the second thing is what we're going to be talking about today. How do we drive that legacy, this heart for the house forward? And that is where passion comes in. Because you can realize that you're going to leave a legacy But if you don't have the appropriate passion to leave the right kind of legacy, whatever you thought about legacy last week will just fade into the background when life gets busy again. Like you'll just get so busy with everything, with running around, with managing your household, with getting to work, with doing all of that, that it will fade into the background. So today, the second part of our series, Heart for the House, is a heart driven by passion. That's our topic today, a heart driven by passion. And we're going to be reading today from 2 Chronicles. Last week we started at the end of 1 Chronicles, where a king that God loved very dearly, King David, he had this dream to build the temple for God, and God said, no, David, because I used you to clear a place for my people You are in too many wars, you shed too much blood, so you can have the dream, and you can leave the legacy, and you can make the preparations, but you're not going to build the temple, your son Solomon will build the temple. And then he handed the plans over and all of the resources to his son Solomon, and today we're going to be reading where Solomon is putting things in place to start the building of the temple. We'll be reading from 2 Chronicles 2. Verse 3 to 12. If you have a Bible at home, I want to encourage you to go and read like the whole story of David and Solomon, um, Samuel, Kings and Chronicles. It's really incredible. If you don't have a Bible, speak to us. Like anyone at the welcome desk, they'll give you a Bible um, or download the app on your phone. But Second Chronicles 2, verse 3 to 12. Solomon is writing this letter to a different king to get more resources for the temple. This king is not a follower of God. He was actually famous for the temples that he built in his own cities. But I want you to see, this is a longer piece, but I want, to see, I want you to see the passion that Solomon writes a simple letter with, just asking for lumber, and the response of this other king. Solomon sent this message to Hiram, king of Tyre. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. Now I am about to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God and to dedicate it to him for burning fragrant incense before him, for setting out the consecrated bread regularly and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening and on the Sabbath, at the new moons and at the appointed festivals of the Lord our God. This is a lasting ordinance. And hear this. The temple I'm going to build will be great. Because our God is greater than all the other gods. That was a risk already there. He could have upset King Hiram for just saying, like, listen, my God is better than yours. Okay, but he's like, my, my God is greater than all the other gods. But who is able to build a temple for my God since the heaven, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? Send me therefore a man skilled to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and in purple, crimson and blue yarn. Talk about a jack of all trades. And experienced 
in the art of engraving to work in Judah and Jerusalem with my skilled workers, whom my father David provided. Send me also cedar, juniper, and algam logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants are skilled in cutting timber there. My servants will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber, because the temple I built must be large and magnificent. And then he talks about what he will pay them, but then verse 10, I will give your servants the woodsmen, I will give you servants, the woodsmen who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, um, 20,000 baths of wine, 20,000 baths of olive oil. And then Hiram, king of Tyre, replied by letter to Solomon. Here's the reply of this king. Because the Lord, and he specifically refers to Yahweh, our God. Um, we just translate a little different, right? Because the Lord loves His people. He has made you their king. And He added, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. He has given King David a wise son, endowed with intelligence and discernment, who will build a temple for the Lord and a palace for Himself. Can you imagine if you had to write a letter to a contractor today with that tone? He could have just been, hi, Hiram, like, I'll pay you a lot of stuff, money, wine, olive oil, like, just send me some logs, full stop, King Solomon, right? That could have been it. But this is a letter filled with so much passion that Solomon had for God. Like, he just radiates with it. And at the end of it, this king, Hiram, that was known for the temples that he built in his own town for their gods in that town, he comes and he declares full out, this God of Israel is the God who made everything. And we don't know, historians have been arguing about that. Did Hiram actually convert to Judaism at that time or not? I'm like, I don't even care just the words that he's saying, where he's like, this God that you are serving is mind-blowing. That is all the response like that I care about. That is just so amazing, right? Solomon wrote this letter and he's like, this temple will be great because our God is greater than all the other gods. And he was following when he was saying these words in the footsteps of his father David that said, I want to build a house for God, something that's truly magnificent. And David spent his last years on earth to gather the resources to leave a legacy so that Solomon could build. But here is a problem that we don't specifically see in the text, but that is often a problem just in life. When you follow up someone, whether that is at work or at school, at, uh, another teacher that you're replacing or um, a boss at work or someone that had to carry a vision, whatever it might be, when you are replacing someone that was highly passionate, it's often really difficult. Just because of the tone that they've set, right? And maybe here, when I'm talking about passion today, you're like, Louis, you don't know me. Like, you might be passionate. I'm just the introvert. Like, I don't get excited about anything. I never smile. I'm just like, this is me, you know? Like, so I, I appreciate this message about passion, but it's just not my nature. I want to say, is it not your nature or is it? Because here is the thing. Solomon, we don't know if he was as passionate as David. But we see his passion in this letter, and I believe that his passion, whether he was a super passionate person or not, it doesn't matter, but I believe that his passion was built on what he saw embodied by his father David. 
His father David, as a little boy, goes and faces a three-meter-tall giant. Why? Because he made fun of his God. And he's like, you will not do that in my presence. You come with all this armor, you are seasoned. I come with you with passion for my God. That same David said, oh, by the way, when he was talking about how he's going to defeat Goliath, when I was young, this is how passionate I was about sheep. Have you ever looked into a sheep's eye? Like, it's like these weird long pupils. It's just like there's nothing there. Nothing. <laughs> but David is so passionate about it. He's like, listen, if a wolf or a bear or a lion, I grew up in a country where there's lions, okay? They don't walk out streets, but lions are scary. He's like, I just grab the lion by the beard, and then I kill him with a stick. I'm like, I will let the sheep go. But that was just David, right? When he brought the ark back, when the Philistines took the ark of God and he brought it back, he danced in front of the ark of God to his wife, the queen, to her disgust. And every, this is the most insane part, every six steps, not six meters, hopefully that big step, every six steps, they sacrificed a calf and a bull. This King David when he got this vision to build this temple for God, he started gathering so much building material that it literally says in the Bible, like the bronze was so much, and they are talking tons of stuff, like literally tons. And when it comes to bronze, they're like, it's so much, they couldn't even count it. And then when you get to, and you can go and read this on your own, in First Chronicles 29, King David is like, oh, by the way, I've given Solomon everything, but I, I'm so passionate about this, I'm just going to go above and beyond what could ever be expected of me, and I'm going to give more to Solomon. Like every single part of King David, the Psalms that he wrote, like every single thing of him just screamed passion. And I don't know... If Solomon was such a passionate person, but this is what I do know, it is impossible for you to be in the presence of someone that is that passionate and not be influenced by them. We are all impacted by other people's passions. We all get passionate about stuff we were never passionate about just because of their passion. I grew up in a country where we play the only true sport called rugby. But we're not... I'm not actually a big rugby fan. None of us in our family are, are big sports people. So my sister then married a really big guy who used to play rugby like professionally. He played provincial as well. And they were dating a couple of months, and she would get all dressed up in team colors and go to rugby games. And I'm like, who is this person? This is not my sister, you know, like... She plays piano, and she's a little tiny little thing that loves to do math and homework, and now she's, she's screaming for a rugby team. Just because her husband was so passionate about it, it rubbed off on her. And if you're part of a passionate church, that will rub off on you, and you will become passionate. And that is why it's so important for you to make sure that you're in a spiritual home where you are in a space between people that are so passionate about Jesus that it can rub off on you because it's impossible. Even if you say, Louis, this is not my nature, it's impossible for us to be in the presence of passion and not be affected by it. If you ever sit in an awkward conversation with the introvert and you don't know what to say, like that's me, like I don't care, I will speak in front of 10,000 people, but put me with one introvert and I'm like, I start to shrivel, right? <laughs> all, you, all you go is this, like, tell me about 
your passion project. You're good to go for the next five hours. They won't stop talking. Even though they, they said nothing before, right? But the second thing is not only, I think, did he see it embodied by his dad, and so he became passionate, but he also became so passionate about God because he completely immersed himself in his relationship with God. If you go and read one chapter back, he sacrifices when he took over as king. His first order of business is to go and sacrifice a thousand burnt offerings to God. David warned him. David said, Solomon, if you want to rule, like you need to make sure that you are rooted in God. Like It's not fine that you're just my son. You have to find Jesus yourself. We spoke about that last week, right? But he, that is the first thing he did. God appears to him in a dream, and God speaks to him, and he's like, Solomon, tell me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he was so he had such an intimate knowledge of God and God's love for his people that he doesn't ask for stuff that we would ask for most of the time. He's like, give me wisdom to lead your people well. Like he completely immersed himself in this relationship with God and therefore I think he was passionate about it. You see, things we spend lots of time and money on become passion projects, whether we like it or not. Even that car that's been standing in your garage for 15 years, you already spent $20,000 on it. It's still not driving. But whenever someone shows up, you still show them the car because it's a passion project. You invested so much in it, you can't back off now, right? The closer we get to Jesus... I think the more, just like Solomon, the closer he got to God, the more he understood his magnificent. The more Solomon understood that even the greatest temple I could build could never house this God. He's like the heavens can't contain him. The Bible says he measures the universe with his hand. I'm like, come on. Solomon is so immersed in his relationship with God that he's like, his magnificent blows my mind. And the more we immerse ourselves in the things of God, the more passionate we will be about God because the more magnificent we will realize it truly is. So you might be, Louis, this is a cool topic about passion. It's not me. It could be you. I was born pretty much like David. I get passionate about anything. But all of us can get passionate if we immerse ourselves in something. And when we choose to immerse ourselves in God's interest, so spending time with God, being part of a community that has contagious passion, like really participating in the work of Jesus and seeing lives change, you cannot help but become passionate about God. Because where God is working, change happens, life change, incredible things. You might be, okay, Louis, so what does passion have to do with this topic of heart for the house? I believe passion reveals something to other people about the God we serve. Solomon was so passionate about God that even in a simple letter that should have said, send me lumber that he couldn't help but to write about this magnificent God that deserved the most magnificent temple and there was no way around it. And I'm like, why was Solomon so big on it when he himself said even the heavens can't contain God? Because I think Solomon understood that people will look at that temple and believe certain things about the God of Israel when they see the temple. 
You might be like, that sounds weird. It happens every single day. How often have you heard that people have an issue with God? Oh, God is just so judgmental. Oh, like God can, can never love me. No, God is just intolerant that He hates people. I'm like, no, that's not God. Not the God of the Bible. Might be other gods. It's not my God. It's not the Jesus that I serve. Do you know why people say those things? Because they look at the house of God, they look at the church, and often that is what they see. They see intolerance, they see judgment, they see zero vulnerability, and they're like, so that must be the God you serve. If you call yourselves Christians, act like that. You see, so everything we do speaks. Our passion or our lack thereof speaks, and it tells people of the one we worship. That's why it's one of our values. That is why one of our values is we are passionate people. Because we believe that people will look at what we do and how we do it and make up their minds about God before even giving Him a chance to change their lives. You might have been wondering in the last year why we made so many changes. That's why. Why we try to really be have good quality music because I believe that that music speaks and someone will walk in here and they will say, this is the most horrible music I heard and walked out. And I'm like, our music is supposed to worship the most magnificent God. Our music is supposed to be better than any music in the world. That is why we care about how stuff looks because people will make up their mind about God. Years ago, I was at a conference and I've always had this issue with people like showing up late, like I grew up in a house where my dad was never late, but he was always just on time. So we had to drive really fast, and then everyone is all stressed out. So I decided to just like give myself a little bit of extra time. And then we had a baby, and I don't know, like babies are programmed to poop the moment you have to put them in the car. <laughs> so we're like, okay, now we have to leave 30 minutes earlier just for that programming error to, to fix that. But... <clears throat> I was always like, why does this frustrate me so much? And someone, I was at a conference, and they said, when people show up late, what it's telling you is that they don't value your time. That is why we care about being on time. That's why I want to encourage you to be on time. Because when we are all late in this building, people sit here and they're like, oh, clearly, this, this, this doesn't matter to worship this God. Or like, you can be late, it doesn't really matter. Like when we don't worship passionately, like clearly this God doesn't really care and like there's nothing really to worship. When our seats are empty, people look at this and they're like, oh, clearly this God does not have a great following, so why should I worship him? Every single thing speaks and we forget that and Solomon knew that. Your devotion to your work, the way you raise your children... The way you speak to people in a conflict situation, when someone knows you're a Christian, they will immediately connect that to the God you serve. I have heard too many times that the church and the Bible is irrelevant. And I'm like, no, it isn't. The Bible is still so relevant, but the church stopped being passionate about sharing Jesus in a way that a changing world could understand Him. We decided it's okay to just cruise by. Does it mean that everything we do should always be perfect? The answer is no. You see, because both mediocrity and perfection creates huge problems. 
Mediocrity leaves us with a church that has given up on life, that just doesn't care enough to live the mission of Jesus anymore, to see lives being transformed. But perfection leaves us with a church full of hypocrites. We have to put on a mask to pretend that you are perfect because no one is perfect. So we're not saying this is about perfection. We're saying this is about being so passionate that just as Solomon said, I will give my, I can never contain this God, but I will give my very, very best to build this God a place that is worthy of his name. That's what passion is about. It's about always giving our very best to God, not the leftovers. Today we have baby dedication, child dedication at the end of the service. And when we promise as parents, we don't say we're going to be perfect parents. Guys, I'm not a perfect parent. I mess up so many times. But we're not making a promise to be perfect. We're making a promise to be passionate, to be so passionate about my children and about Jesus that I will give everything I can to raise them the way Jesus wants. That's the difference between passion and perfection. Passion helps us to avoid the excuse of mediocrity and the trap of perfection. But then once we are passionate, once we realize it puts us in that spot, in a good spot, where the world looks at us and they see something that is worth following, someone that's worth following just of our pa- because of our passion, what happens with passion is that it starts to be really contagious. It spreads to other people. It enlarges the house of God. Hiram got a letter from Solomon that had so much passion in it that he had no choice but to acknowledge this God. And the way he acknowledges him, I'm like, if he didn't decide to follow God after that, he would have been crazy because he's like, clearly your God made everything. Like just from your passion, it's obvious that everything was made by him. Passion is contagious. You heard my story about Airsoft. I've never played that in my life, but it was so contagious the way it is spoke about it that I was like, I'm going to buy some Airsoft rifles. Passion is contagious. Passion is undeniable. You see, people don't have to believe in God. They could say, I don't believe in God. What they cannot say is that your passion is fake. They cannot deny our passion. And that is why passion is so important because it opens people's hearts to say, if you are this passionate about God, maybe there's something in this God that is worth examining. Maybe it's worth the search. Maybe it's worth the risk to step through the doors of a church building that looks so scary to me. It's easy to not be attracted to something that people are not passionate about. If you're not passionate about something, no one's going to be attracted to it. And I believe that is the reason why so many churches in the world and in the Western world is in decline. Because people got more passionate about sports and recreation and music and work and children 
and buildings and surviving and money and power and online shopping and social media. People got more passionate about that than God. And our lives are telling the world that there's stuff that's worth more than Jesus. It is hard not to be attracted to something that someone is really passionate about. John Wesley, the old revivalist preacher who started, that was the start of the Methodist church. He said, set yourself alight with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Now I believe that. It is not hard to be attracted to Jesus. It is not hard to be attracted to Jesus when our passion is all about Him. Where's that slide? Our passion for Jesus is contagious and it draws people in. People can't help it. And if you say, Louis, how do we build this house? How do we change this community? It starts with realizing that my life is not just here for now. It's here to leave a legacy. And it's about realizing that if I want to ever see this community change, better police, better government, a new prime minister, better vaccines, better whatever you can name is not going to fix stuff. Only Jesus will truly fix it. Because our problems is not on the surface level. Our problem is on the heart level. When we are so passionate because we know that God is the only one capable enough to change everything, when we get passionate about that, that's when the world changes. You don't have to worry about the gift of evangelism. You don't have to worry about being trained to share Jesus. It will just naturally flow out of you. You won't be able to contain it because people will just flock to you and watch you burn. To Hiram, it was impossible not to acknowledge and worship a God the two kings were so passionate about. God's changed back then. He just made one. But he's like, there's a lineage of kings that worship this God, and I saw their kingdoms grow, and I saw their passion, and it is hard to deny that. He had no choice. And people should experience in our awe and in our passion a God worthy of all praise. You want to have a heart for God's house. Your passion for God and for His mission is what drives a legacy. But what are you immersing yourself in? Because whatever you're going to be immersing yourself in, that is what you'll be passionate about. I believe the best is yet to come. For Grace Church, first 90 years are behind us. There's 90 years ahead of us that will be better than the previous ones. So let's make sure we set ourselves up to leave a legacy by developing a passion for Jesus that is more contagious than coronavirus. Let's pray. Jesus, your majesty, your glory, your greatness, your incredible grace 
for broken people like us. It just blows my mind every time. And I pray, Jesus, that we will see more of that. I pray that you will open our spiritual eyes to see for who you are. And maybe not even all of it, because I don't think we can comprehend all of it. May we just comprehend enough to make you the number one passion in our lives again. I know the best is yet to come, Jesus, for this church, for this generation. But I know that it's impossible without you. I pray that you will light a fire in our lives. A fire of passion for your kingdom, for your glory that will burn so bright that people will come from miles to watch it burn. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.